Starting up a business is hard, really, really hard. Your chances of failure are high. You're likely to lose both your sleep and your hair. But luckily for you, you're not alone. Welcome to ET Startup School, your step-by-step -step guide to starting, building and consolidating your startup business idea. Your teachers at the ET Startup School will be some of India's best-known entrepreneurs, VCs and domain experts. So grab a notebook, pay close attention, school is about to start. Today's class at ET Startup School is called My Startups in Trouble, What Do I Do? Your teacher for this class is a man who's seen his share of troubles. Shiv Kumar Ganeshan or Shivku as he's known, co-founded Exotel in 2011, raised two and a half crore rupees in 2012 and went on to build his business. And then trouble struck. Exotel didn't find another investor for eight long years. The company almost shut down, his co-founders left the business and acquisition offers just fell through. And then the pandemic hit. But Shivku pulled through. In 2021, Exotel raised $100 million, acquired two companies and quadrupled their revenues to $55 million. How did they do it? Listen on and find out. Shivku, welcome to ET Startup School. Uh, today's episode is called, My Startup is in Trouble, What Do I Do? So my first question for you is, what are the kinds of trouble a startup uh, need to watch out for? Um, hi, thank you so much for having me here. Um, so when I think of uh, troubles for a startup, there is this uh, thing in the SaaS world that we talk about, which is called rule of 40, um, which is to say that your growth plus profits, uh, the absolute numbers, when you add these two these numbers up, it must be greater than 40. Uh, if you are in the zone that's lesser than 40, you sort of think of it as I call it as the obsolescence zone, which is to say that your business is kind of tending towards um, a lifestyle business, uh, which in itself is actually okay. Uh, there's nothing wrong about it. But if you have raised uh, money from investors, then they have a certain expectation on returns and things like that. What you don't want to be uh, is in this obsolescence zone where you are neither growing too fast, uh, nor are you generating enough profits or you are not growing your profits also uh, fast enough. So, so one should watch out for uh, the rule of 40. Uh, so that's one point that comes to my mind. And How exactly does one compute this 40? What are the components of this 40? So the growth rate plus uh, your profit. So let's say you're growing at 40% and you don't make money, uh, then it's basically 40. So if you're growing at 60% and you're making minus 20% EBITDA, then that's still 60 minus 20, so that's still 40. Mm -hmm. But if you're growing at 20% and you're not making money, which is EBITDA zero, then you are 20 on the rule of 40. And that's mm -hmm. not uh, That's the good danger enough. zone. That's the obsolescence zone. So basically, you know, you tend to sort of get into an area where, you know, your company no longer matters. Um, so that's one thing to watch out for. The second one that comes to my mind is uh, building too much for just one or maybe two of three important stakeholders. So, as you know, any company, there are three stakeholders. So there is the customer, of course, then there are investors and then there are employees. So what happens is some and naturally you need to know, ensure that in terms of your intent and in terms of your focus, you are splitting it nicely and appropriately between these three stakeholders. But some founders end up actually building the company more for one uh, and sometimes at the expense of the others. And that's not a good thing. So you don't want to. Uh, focus too much on culture and then you are 
spoon feeding your employees and then ultimately resulting in not making enough uh, shareholder value or if you're always going towards profits maybe you're overworking your uh, employees um, or you are not forgetting your customers and you know ultimately forgetting to ask the question of whether you're adding value to your customers let me talk to you about uh, some kinds of risk what do founders need to know about say technology risk market risk and business model risk oh that's a complicated question i mean there can be a... let's go one by one say technology risk let's just say it's a risky question to answer okay uh, but yeah i think uh, why don't we start with market risk so um, i think there are two kinds of market risks uh, betting too little on market trends or sticking too much to the proven market for too long you know let's say there is a new fad uh, you know something that's new that's coming up um, and it's sort of in the vicinity of uh, your uh, your space your domain now should you be investing in it or not and uh, uh, some founders may now end up actually pursuing some of those new shiny toys too much and uh, in the process ultimately spread themselves too thin and perhaps even forgetting that they have a cash cow they have a proven business and sort of not pursuing on that one um, with focus so i think that's that's one problem the other part of the problem is uh, you know sitting on your chair for too long while the world moves on uh, so that's a problem that's problematic too in fact in nowadays technology changes so fast um, and uh, so one needs to be careful of sitting on old laurels um and ensure that uh, they are developing an art towards how much to continue to invest in cash cow versus how much to pursue new you don't want to overdo either of them so that's on the market risk piece um uh business model i think is actually very straightforward business i think uh, largely it is i think business model risk is running out of money while you try to scale uh i think that's the way i sort of put uh business model risk so i mean think of you know the cost of building and building your product and servicing your customers uh, is more than the revenue that you are making from them or it takes too long uh, to realize the money ability to actually uh, get the customer acquisition cost back uh, let's say it's taking too long um you know let's say there are uh, collectible issues so these are all actually issues of uh, of business model ultimately i think the headline statement for me is uh, running out of money while you try to scale the company so i think that is uh, a business model risk uh, what was the last one uh, technology risk so uh, improvising your existing stack to being the best while your market is getting commoditized i think that's the that's the most difficult part so you've nailed something you are actually dominating in a particular market segment you're investing a lot more you're building reliability you're building scale you're building features and suddenly somebody pulls the carpet below your feet uh, something new comes on and then you're caught unaware uh, so i think that's a problem and i think maybe the other one is uh, what we call as tech debt of course this is relevant only for technology companies uh, which is that you release too many features too fast and then um, and then the foundation of your software is not able to catch up to it Uh, and uh, you actually eventually end up spending a lot of effort and time trying to upgrade whatever it is that you've built and then it sometimes it takes years and like lots of engineers and then from your customer standpoint they don't actually see any incremental uh, value because you're simply just like up- upgrading your back end and uh, upgrading the versions of your software etc so so tech debt is also another uh, 
problem or technology risk that one needs to be aware of. What are some of the easy signs for a founder to read that a business is not doing well? You, of course, said the rule of 40, which is an easy metric. Any other easy signs? Let's see. Uh, see by the way, first of all, nothing is easy about a business. Uh, <laughs> True. So I, okay. so I don't know about I can see. All right. Yes. But let me talk about three things that comes to my mind. So, uh, so if your cash is reducing um, and that's not a part of your deliberate strategy, I think there is a problem. So if you have a strategy and you're saying that, look, I'm going to invest upfront, um, I'm going to capture the market, uh, and then you're investing and then you're deliberately creating losses, I think that's completely fine. Uh, but, and then if, of course, if it's also, uh, you know, the trajectory of your cash burn down is similar to what you thought it will be, I think all of that is completely fine. But if your cash is actually coming down uh, and you don't know why that's happening, I think that's a, that's a sign that, you know, maybe not all is well with, with the business. You ask for easy signs. So the easy signs, um, good employees are voluntarily leaving. Your star performers are leaving. Um, your key customers are uh, uh, not happy. They are stopping to use your product. Uh, these are all, of course, also very easy signs. I, these, are, these are things that you need to keep in mind, I think, when you're, when you're thinking about what's going on with your business. Shivku, what framework do you personally use to assess risks to Exotel? Many, many things are there. Uh, so uh, perhaps we can talk about, I don't know, if, is pre-mortem a word? So we can we can talk about pre-mortem. So, it's a word now. <laughs> so post-mortem, see, po- there's a problem with post-mortem, right? So post-mortem or what they call as RCA, uh, root cause analysis, is an elaborate explanation on uh, how we got to a certain place or how something went wrong. Frankly, it's actually not useful uh, because it's all history. Uh, whatever has happened has already happened. Uh, and, you know, it's, it just basically helps you have a theoretical debate on, you know, what went wrong and, you know, sort of think about how to learn from it and things like that. But actually, that's in my mind, that's actually not the most, uh, you know, the best way of actually spending your time. I think pre-mortem, however, is a much better way to think about stuff where it's forward looking, where uh, all of you get together into a room and then you're brainstorming, look, this is our strategy. Now, one year from now, two years from now, when we sit here and then we talk about what went wrong, what would be the points that we all will talk about? And then we put all of those things down and then we talk about, hey, is there something that we can do to mitigate that uh, or can we live with it? I think that conversation is is far more helpful, far more productive and uh, one might call that as pre-mortem. The second one that I have for you uh, are what I call as assertions. Um, So oftentimes people say a lot, but they don't say much. Uh, (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm. So, uh, you know, it could be done like this. It could be done like that. We can do this. We can do that. Uh, But again, these are all just commentaries. It's, it's, It's almost like you're in a podcast where you are just generally talking. But when you're operators, you know, I mean, we are not asking for ideas, right? So this is not a, this is not a think tank. Uh, so this is, this has to be executed. Of course, we give the space for everybody to say what they have to say, right? But I, I finally now then say, okay, uh, tell me a bunch of statements that start with, I will, or I am going to. Uh, and those then sort of becomes assertions and, uh, or logical statements that people are making or, and then sort of write it down uh, and then into like a statement and then that sort of becomes like uh, your strategy, if you will. You can then very easily 
uh, you know talk around it about it uh, and things like that so so assertions and logical inductions are uh, are another easy way to assess some of the risks i think um, so because once you write it down it's actually very difficult to uh, you know ignore it uh, you know and it's easy to spot uh, what's going wrong so i think that's one thing that comes to my mind right so let me just summarize what you said the first part is a pre-mortem where you do a brainstorm on what could go wrong and the second part you've got to have assertions where you say i will do this or i will do that which are affirmative positive statements of what you're actually going to do and not just brainstorm about what could be done that's right and then once you write these statements it's easier to find flaws in them so you know something like uh, i am going to prove that coffee is bad for health uh, you know so now that becomes a point where we can sit and debate argue conclude right and then so then you know uh, you know what's going to happen what's not going to happen and so it it becomes a point around which you can assess start assessing risks as a startup founder how much democracy and how much diktat you said you listen to everybody in your team but at some point you have to make a decision so <laughs> where do you draw that line between complete democracy and complete dictatorship so long as everybody is achieving their numbers and hitting their goals it's complete democracy and so long as that's not happening then they have to listen to what i have to say Right. <laughs> Shivku, you, you recently won the Comeback Kid Award in the ET Startup Awards. What crisis did Exotel come back from exactly? Ah, there are uh, I don't know, maybe four or five uh, crises that. We, by the way, actually, uh, this is not even the first time that Exotel is nominated for the Comeback Kid Award. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is actually we are. I'm actually we are actually third time lucky. So we've actually been nominated twice before for the comeback. So we are we are actually a comeback on the Comeback Kid Award. So yes, so like third time comeback lucky. Okay, <laughs> something like that. Yes. So so let me tell you what all has happened in the last I don't know eleven years of my journey. So uh, I have failed uh, in fundraising twice, but uh, it no longer bothers me because. um in the last calendar year we actually raised a round of funding every quarter so i actually did four rounds of funding last year alone and then i had done one before that so now the ratio is 5 is to 2 uh so that sort of makes me feel okay about it but yeah i mean i did go through a long period where uh, we were we weren't able to raise funds and that was personally very demotivating um so that's one um then we've had issues around um uh, regulations so ours is a Uh, telephony based uh, telecom based uh, communications based uh, software company so uh, turns out that when we actually started doing what we wanted to do there wasn't actually any license around which we can market our solutions because by definition all innovation does not conform to rules um but so that became a problem and then we had to now work with the regulators find some license take that license and it, there was a lot of drama so we were actually on the verge of being asked to shut down um so that happened um and if that's not enough we have also had two rounds of failed acquisitions as well uh in one case uh, we actually even gotten a term sheet we were all quite excited uh you know it was supposed to happen and uh, by now i would have retired but that didn't also happen um and then there was another another acquisition offer as well so i think there are about um, some three or four or five pivotal moments uh in our journey uh, that i think has shaped the way shaped me certainly and uh, shaped the way uh, we build the company so do you think uh, we deserve a comeback at all uh, absolutely <laughs> shivku there's talk of a funding winter currently underway given the recession and given the tightness of money around the world if you were a startup founder just starting up your business today 
how would you navigate times like these see uh, the best way to get funding is to actually not is to build a company that doesn't need it so if you really think about it uh, often times i mean we have really we have to actually think about uh, fundraise from the investor standpoint i think a lot is being said from the uh, founder standpoint but and by the way we are all investors ourselves right so uh, the job of an investor is to uh, is to buy a company that's going to give them more returns into the future and so by that definition they are looking for enterprises that are growing that are going to generate profits that are going to uh, maximize their value and they are trying to buy some of these companies for cheap so this is this is what they are attempting to do uh, whenever other uh, entrepreneurs come to me and then they ask me for uh, fundraise advice um, i ask them so tell me a large sum of money for you so you know people say 2 lakhs 5 lakhs 10 lakhs whatever depending on their uh, bank balance right so so then i will ask them would you now put let's say 10 lakhs into your company do you have the conviction to be able to do that and if you don't have the conviction what are the points that are stopping you now write all of those things down and try to address all of those things so many many entrepreneurs think that fundraising is about convincing the investor actually it's exactly the reverse i think it's about evaluating whether your company deserves first of all your own money and secondly somebody else's money uh, if you if you sort of think about it from that standpoint you will now start begin to start thinking about uh, how do i now build sustainably uh, how how am i going to generate profits um, how am i going to ensure that uh, my cost of acquisition is low and then this results in a bunch of ideas a bunch of brainstorming uh, and then ultimately it ends up creating a good company now the good news is that funding winter or funding summer good companies always get funded um, and uh, there is it's not like all capital has vanished it's just that extra capital has vanished so uh, and as an entrepreneur there's no reason why you shouldn't attempt to build a good company so try continue to focus on building a good company and then uh, you know continue to focus on first of all building the company and a good company i think capital automatically follow shivko founders sometimes surround themselves with yes men and yes women and who don't tell them what they need to hear you just hear what you what what uh, what sounds good to you and sometimes the founder is the key problem in the organization what happens if the founder is the key problem and the founder has to go in order for the company to survive how do you navigate something like that well it hasn't happened to me uh, so far well, certainly uh, so, yeah <laughs> but you've heard of other companies where that has happened where the key founder is the core problem that's one and secondly i also obviously imagine whether i am the right person to do whatever i'm doing and whenever i feel like uh, that answer to that question is no uh, then i'm first of all a shareholder even before a ceo so i'd be i'd more than happily fire myself and find a person who is more well able to do it so your question is still i think completely valid let's address the yes men and women question uh you know there are two extremes to this so one is to basically surround yourself with people who are always arguing and debating with you mm-hmm. and frankly i don't think anybody wants to work in that situation certainly not a founder imagine going into a meeting you say something and everybody is now sort of debating around it right so it's mm-hmm. it's just tiring and it pulls down all of your motivation and energies so it makes no sense to generally surround yourself with naysayers anyway mm-hmm. on the other extreme is uh, the yes men and women um the problem there is that it becomes an echo chamber uh, yeah. which is to say that you say something and then either because people are afraid of you or uh, you know or they just they just dote you 
they always just say that yeah that you're absolutely right but so this echo chamber obviously means that i mean all humans are going to be wrong at some time uh, and so you are literally like a time bomb waiting waiting to make mistakes so so these are the two extremes of that statement uh, naturally the right answer is somewhere in the middle uh, some of the things that i look out for in people who who with whom i work with me is a subtle difference between arguing for the sake of arguing uh, versus questioning to understand and uh, raising points that are logical and critical at the same time uh, but ultimately with the intent of making the business better so so i carefully observe first of all how i argue am i saying something because uh, because you know that's just what i want to do or is it because that's what customers want and then i observe how people react to statements like this so so long as they are now challenging me so long as they are now trying to bring about the good points so long as they are now trying to continue to add to more if they allow me to expand my uh, way of thinking um, if they ask me even more questions um, i think these are all good signs that you have people who are trying to challenge you uh, and that would mean that there's going to be a lot of creativity in the team and uh, it, it's but all of this is like really good for the company um, but ultimately of course your question boils down to self awareness uh, and that's the hard part Uh, and i have actually been on a journey of self awareness myself for a very very long time ultimately i ask myself questions like why do i do the things that i do uh what motivates me why is my mind thinking like this uh is this because it's like this or is this because it's like that so i think one needs to have the ability to develop that self awareness i mean obviously we can't be right all the time so one needs to be careful when they can be wrong and when and you know if you if you develop the wisdom to be able to catch yourself when you are wrong either yourself or with people around you i think uh, very little can stand between you and success or you find yourself a spiritual guru of some sort do you have one do you have a guru that you self reflect with or you collectively reflect with that's an interesting question so um uh, somewhere in the 28 29 year old to transitioning into 30s 31 32 especially because i have been trying to raise funds i didn't raise and Uh, I, I tried to sell my company, and that didn't happen. So there's a lot of uh, negative feedback loop coming my way, and uh, this is an appropriate time for the mind to now begin to do some soul searching. So I went on my own soul searching. I read I read a bunch of books, listened to a bunch of um, um, insightful people, and this and that. But now I feel like I've actually come on the other side. I no longer feel the need for uh, a framework or a playbook to live life. I'm actually able to embrace. both the positives and the negatives fully well um and and then you know i have begin to think that the world deserves me uh in 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 its in its whole right so uh so i'm on the other side so i mean i meditate and things like that but not so much like sitting in one place and then doing pranayama not like that but meditate in the sense of meditate my on my thoughts and meditate on my feelings uh, i could be running i could be walking uh so but ultimately right now i don't feel the need to be spiritually inclined anymore so let's assume that uh, a founder tries to follow the entire playbook on on understanding risk on mitigating risk does the pre mortem takes adequate precautions surrounds himself or herself with the right kind of smart people in spite of all of this let's assume the startup gets into trouble what's the first thing you should do attempt to raise more money take a salary cut yourself downsize your team what do you start doing what's the playbook as soon as trouble hits you 
perhaps half the problem is identifying that your startup is in trouble you know nobody wants to be wrong uh, and especially when you have now given given some stories to people and uh, you've raised cash and then you've told your employees a certain vision uh, and then suddenly you find out that for example nobody is buying your product right so it it is just it takes a lot for first of all to encounter yourself and then to be able to go tell the world that this is what's happening so most entrepreneurs actually have a subdued skill to identify problems and they are quite uh, excited or uh, positive or bullish about how they are going about thinking the world and uh, so that's a mental bias uh, that i think most entrepreneurs have so i think half the problem will be solved if you are able to identify some of these signals early enough uh, and you will be able to identify these signals provided you are looking for them if you are trying to sort of prove yourself right more than find out what the truth is uh, then you'll almost certainly miss all these signals uh, as buddha says uh, the teacher appears when the student is ready uh, so so that's i think half the problem but after having found out that there is a problem of course the solution depends on the problem uh, sometimes it could be strategic errors uh, sometimes you are running out of cash uh, sometimes uh, you are in the wrong market sometimes timing is bad so i think uh, one needs to assess what exactly is the problem but ultimately all of this will result in some capital issues no doubt um, and so one needs to do uh, everything that one that one can do to be able to ensure that we get the company down to i think what's called as ram and profitable which is basically your break even uh, and then you are so, your break even and once you are break even basically you are infinite you can just keep running infinitely like you don't you don't need to add more capital into the business and that gives you the space to be able to think about what you can do about it so i think we need to quickly get the company back to ram and profitable um and for that there are multiple techniques uh, you can introduce variable pay uh, you could uh, uh, reduce your salaries of course you can tie people salaries to goals you can do stock based compensation so there are a whole bunch of techniques that you can use uh, to to reduce cost you can reduce sgna you can reduce marketing spends Uh, in fact you should probably just list down all the spends and then take the top 15 20 and then try to find out if all of them are required could you just explain that phrase you used ramen profitable this was it r a m e n how do you what is what is that phrase yeah it's, it's it is ramen profitable if i remember correctly paul graham from uh, y combinator used that phrase uh, i'm not sure exactly why i don't know maybe he likes ramen but i think he is what he's trying to imply is that you get yourself in a space where uh you no longer need to plough money into the into the company for it to continue to for it to continue to work i mean ultimately we are sort of talking about how to get to break even and how to uh hopefully even also generate a profit right so let's say you are you are you are now you have 100 rupees you are burning 10 rupees um, a month then you have 10 months of runway now let's say suddenly you reduce that down to 5 5 5, what, 5 rupees right so uh from next month onwards you suddenly have almost 19 months of runway um and so on and so forth so i think that's the trajectory that you want to be and then once you are on that trajectory it gives you a lot of space to think about what is it that you want to do next in life how does the founder tell if it's additional funding that's the solution to the problem or the problem is non funding related because i imagine one of the first instincts you'll have when you run into trouble is to raise more money and see if money can solve the problem yeah i think uh, i mean i i mean we spoke a little bit about uh, uh, imagine a large sum of money that you think you can afford and then ask yourself whether you can put this money into your own company if the answer to that question is true uh, then i think you should go ahead and get funds uh, otherwise not but i'd like to basically assure people that 
investors are not in the business of helping companies tide through difficult times you know that's not their job you know their job is to basically return returns to their investors so that's the business that they are in so ultimately um, uh, investors are looking for companies where their capital can help accelerate the growth of a company so they are first of all looking for a company that's on a growth trajectory and then they are trying to put more money in so that they can grow even further up so so that's that's the purpose with which people want to give money and uh, if you have trouble trying to raise money to solve your trouble then that's not the business that investors are in. how do you know when to call it quits how does a founder know tried everything it's no point persisting anymore how do you know you've reached that point so it's a feeling it's definitely a feeling um so i have actually done it once um uh, which is my, there was another startup that i had started Uh, which was in the classified space in fact exotel is a tool that we built um, as a one of the tools that we were going to use in that startup and then i found that um, there were uh, other companies who wanted to pay for this service and then you know i had a b2c company that wasn't making money versus a b2b saas company that was about that was already starting to make money and then so there the pivot was easy and then i sort of moved on um so i think it's important to disassociate yourself from the idea of the company if you feel that you are an entrepreneur i don't think you should ever quit trying to create an enterprise um and it's completely fine for you to try to create enterprise number 1 it doesn't work you move on um, you know try enterprise number 2 so the question can be sort of divided into two parts one is uh, when should an entrepreneur quit creating enterprises uh, i think the answer to that question is um, when you're bored um uh, right so when it is no longer you no longer feel like this is what you want to do actually no so when you are bored and when you feel like you no longer have the skills to be able to uh, build a company or you know hire people and then develop markets and things like that so either you feel you don't have the skill or you feel like you are bored like you know you've tried it and then it's not really working i think those are both uh, good places to sort of uh, quit and by the way um i i would also like to replace the word quit with stop um so these are not like final decisions so you can always stop pursuing uh, your entrepreneurial journey today but you can get back to it 5 years from now when you're more ready and things like that so uh, it's never do or die so i think that's point number 1 on the specific company itself uh, i think i would i would tend to think of it as opportunity cost so uh, i could ask myself questions like is this the right way to spend my spend my time is there something else that i could do which will let's say add more value to me or to the world if the answer to that question is a yes um, then it's time to sort of move on and uh, naturally what that means is that right now i i actually you know in my position at exotel uh, i you know my heart is filled with gratitude i am actually surprised that I, am, i find myself here and i feel a lot of gratitude that i could uh, first of all create so much value to my employees my investors to our customers etc uh there there is nothing else that i would be doing right now than this uh in fact i feel like uh, my position is uh, my my place is actually a prized possession for me so so that's the feeling with which i get to work every day and uh if that's how you you also feel then you should continue to sort of do that shivko let me end this interview with a personal question so what's your personal relationship with failure yeah <sighs> uh, your last question is also the most interesting one so I actually personally think that somehow I don't have I don't actually beat myself down whenever I fail uh that's just not in my instinct uh as soon as something doesn't work 
my mind is already starting to think about what went wrong what else can i do how do i now better this how do i now go around the problem how do i now leapfrog the leapfrog the problem uh, so these are the ways in which instinctively my mind sort of thinks about it um so so that's one relationship with failure so uh, i think of failure as challenges uh, i think of failures as problems that should be solved and uh, i i also identify myself as a problem solver so in this sense um, one could even argue that i actually seek out for failures uh, i am not deterred by it i actually want it because those are the times when i am able to solve it and then i am like hey good job uh so that's so that's one uh i think often times what bogs people down is when they fail they beat themselves down uh and you know it's an instinct that they must have picked up when they were young and uh, i think that's the one that pulls your energy down and then ultimately puts you into depression and then you're not able to do anything um so i sort of watch out for that uh, i don't have that uh, but i know many people who have that it's absolutely critical that uh you stop beating yourself down actually more importantly it's absolutely critical that you start backing yourself uh because it's not like there is one more of you uh so you don't really have a choice in the matter so you might as well just back yourself to succeed in whatever it is that you're trying to do however that, that is not to say that one should not feel sad uh about wasting time and effort uh and sometimes money sometimes other people's money into an endeavor and then it's not resulting in in rewards uh and i actually do feel sad um uh but sadness is a constructive emotion uh i sit on it i ruminate on it i uh, mourn the effort i mourn the money and then after a couple of days it 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 gets over and then i am on to something else after that so long story short um think of failures as challenges as problems that needs your attention to solve point number 2 don't beat yourself down uh, because that's the worst thing you can do you don't have two of you and the third point third part is don't forget to feel sad all good advice shivkumar ganeshan of exotel thank you very much for being our teacher at et startup school great pleasure to be talking to you suresh and uh, i love the opportunity thank you so that brings us to almost the end of today's class at et startup school If you'd like to be a good student, check out and do the homework assignment in the show notes. If you like the podcast, share it with family, friends, even your frenemies. ET Startup School is produced by Animesh Das with inputs from Anupriya Nair, Erika Dzuza, Arijit Barman, Shilpa Sharma, Harish Shavla, Govind Mundra and Vishal Bhandari. ET Startup School is available on economictimes.com and ET Play. as well as amazon music apple podcasts spotify geo7 and google podcasts 